Welcome, everyone, to the Filmmaking Sucks podcast. Filmmaking sucks, but we love it anyway. Yes, that's it. <laughs> uh, we have another guest for you this week, a returning guest. <gasps> Somebody came back to talk to us? Somebody came back to talk to us. They <laughs> apparently liked us. Whoa. Or maybe he doesn't, and that's why he's here, to tell us he, doesn't he didn't like, like us. us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm taking this time out to tell you how bad you guys suck, and I'm out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well that's all it's going to be for this week <laughs> thank you for listening and if you don't recognize that laugh <laughs> we have this week once again the uh the unstoppable alex ferrari yes <laughs> thank you guys thank you it's a pleasure to be back on filmmaking sucks pleasure to have you. I, I appreciate yeah. it <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you yes welcome back welcome back so uh we're just to hell with the pleasantries. No. We got, when we last left off, last time on Filmmaking Sucks with Alex Ferrari, yeah. <laughs> um, you were, uh, you had just finished uh, On the Corner of Ego and Desire. Yes. And you had not premiered it yet. Uh, you could not say the premiere because, you know, those sorts of things uh, be, ha- have to be have to be announced in a certain way, in a certain time, because they have to make things difficult on us. <sighs> So, uh, yes, yeah, so give us the lowdown. What has happened since <laughs> since the uh, I used to, you premiered at Raindance? Yeah, so we that? had a, we had a world premiere at Raindance, uh, the Raindance mm-hmm. uh, Film Festival in in uh, London, and uh, it was it was great. It was very well received. Got some good reviews while we were out there, and then I was promptly rejected from every other film festival I suggest I submitted to in the Ooh. states. And what I find fascinating about that is, look, I know that my film might not be the greatest thing ever made. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been around enough and I've seen enough stuff and I've heard anyone who watches it just goes, why isn't this in more film festivals? I did not realize how much of a problem it was going to be having a film about the Sundance Film Festival as a major character. I didn't mm. think it was going to be that big of a deal, but apparently like their festivals have a real stick up their butt about promoting Sundance. It's kind of like, for me, thinking about it, I'm like, it's kind of like promoting the Oscars. Like, oh, it's at the Oscars. Yeah. I don't want to promote like, It's the Oscars. Like, it, it, there's no competition. I, it's, for not, it's not like people don't know no. it exists. No. Yeah, right. Like, it's like, it's kind of ridiculous. So, but Raindance was the only one. They're like across the pond in the, another country. They're like, we don't yeah. care. This is a good, fun movie. It's great. And out of, wow. like, I think it was one out of every 50 films submitted got into to Raindance. So it was it was steep competition and it got in and it was just pretty, pretty remarkable. So, of course, I got rejected by Sundance. Surprisingly, I got rejected by Slamdance. I'm really surprised by that. That's what we were. We were all thinking Slamdance. <laughs> and I had I have I have one of the co-founders of Slamdance in the movie. I shot at Slamdance. I had people, you know, behind behind the curtains talking and seeing like. Nothing, man. Not one other festival. Wow. And that taught me a very valuable lesson, which is I am no longer ever going to chase a film festival again in my career. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do it anymore. Because I said to myself, if I ever have a shot of getting into Sundance, it's going to be the movie that is a love letter to filmmakers and Sundance. Sundance. Look, and I get it because Sundance is Sundance. I get it. But I still said as if there's ever going to be a shot to maybe deal midnight or something. It would be this movie. And I waited a year because I was done three weeks after I, I, the last, you know, yeah. after I, after I, I shot it three weeks yeah. after in 2018, like in February, at the end of February, I was done. And then you just sat there and it oh. sat there and I went to Cannes and I went, I, I hit all the big ones because I really thought that this was the one that had the best chance of getting it because it's a built for film festivals. It's about <laughs> filmmakers yeah. It's like this is Spinal Tap for filmmakers. Like I don't understand, <laughs> but anyone who's seen it really loves it. I've had nothing uh-huh. but great reviews about it from people who've watched it, people at Rain Dance and other people in the industry and stuff that I've sent it to. They really tell me it's it's fantastic, and they can't believe how I made it and all that kind of good stuff. But you know, it is what it is. So it's going to now be released coming up soon. I'm about to finish uh, signing some paperwork with my distributor that I've uh, decided to partner with and uh, mm-hmm. it will be on, on my uh, streaming platform on Indie film hustle TV. 
uh, on TVOD, on transactional, and also on uh, on the subscription-based as well. And I just want to get it out there. At this point, I just want to get it out there. I want, like, any, look, it's... God, God, do I know the feeling. <laughs> like, it's built for my audience. That's the thing that's yeah. so upsetting. It's built for people like like you guys and people who listen to this show and people who follow me and, and listen to my show and do all the stuff. It's like, literally, it's custom-built for them as possible. That's... And um, And there's even a cameo by a podcaster in it who will remain nameless. Um... <laughs> Ooh. That would be me. It's me. It's me. It's me. I, 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 it's, it's me. They have to go to a podcast. And they're chasing a movie, so they're, they're they're chasing the producer. Oh well, yeah. yeah. Go to your own show, of course. Why am I going to make up a show and then hire an actor? I couldn't mm. even hire anyone because I couldn't afford it at the time. I was like, I'll, no. I'll just play myself. It'll be great. <laughs> so I'm in it. And by the way, when you do watch it, you'll see me cut myself out of every shot. <laughs> I frame myself out. You'll see a shoulder. I cut myself out as much as I could. Beauty of shooting 4K, right? No, I shot it. Crop? No, I shot it all in 1080p. Remember I shot it oh, all really? in pocket camera. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So I shot it all in the pocket camera and I was still able to zoom in and you know, mm. little little magic and post. I've been doing it for a while, so little magic and post. Yeah, to make it look great. Uh, and I did, and I loved. I love shooting with that little camera. It was just. Mm. It gives it that nice '90s super sixteen yeah. vibe, which is yeah. what I wanted. Which is what I wanted for the film. But yeah, that's. Yeah. I just want the film to be seen now by filmmakers, and I know when it hits uh, my streaming service, I think you know people keep asking like. Dude, didn't you make a movie at Sunday? Like, is that <laughs> when is that gonna come out? What happened to that? And I'm like, I know, dude. I waited for Sunday. No, because I actually did a whole podcast. It's like, so you didn't get it to Sundance. Don't worry, neither did I. I know, uh, yeah, that was a great episode. <laughs> it was more for me than anybody else. But I was like, look, there's fourteen thousand other, literally fourteen thousand one hundred and some other filmmakers yeah. who <laughs> feel like I do right now. Yeah, I think we all need a cathartic Jesus. episode. Of why yeah. it's okay. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Do you think that maybe they were just afraid where they were like, he kind of shot this at Sundance without their permission? Like, I don't want to be I don't know what Sundance. the politics honestly, I don't know what the politics are. I I, yeah. I um I really just don't know what the politics are of it. Uh, not only for Sundance, but like for Slam Dance and other things like that. I just because it was kind of like a love letter to Park City. Like I love yeah. Park City. Park City is wonderful, it's beautiful, especially that during the time of the festivals there. It is just this magical place that really doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet uh and it's it was a love letter to to filmmakers it's a love right. letter to park city you know it was to a certain extent kind of to sundance but not really it was kind of like because i've been my heart's been broken by sundance so many times i can't mm-hmm. so it's not like i'm like oh sundance sundance but like when you're at park city you're at sundance you're like yeah, yeah. you're there you know it's 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 yeah. just that that thing so what the politics i don't know i mean i did shoot literally in Sundance headquarters twice mm-hmm. two, two full scenes in Sundance headquarters I was in the belly of the beast and I would like mm-hmm. tell people to get out of my shot <laughs> I was so ballsy and every time I didn't want to walk in my shot I'd get pissed and my DP's like dude we are stealing this shut up <laughs> I would get really um uh, upset about it but other than that it was just such a great experience shooting that we shot it in about four days and uh, about 36 hours, we shot the whole damn thing in about 36 hours. It was a great experience. And I don't know if you guys ever shot like this, but when you're out there on the um, on the edge pretty much with no net, yeah, it yeah. is an exhilarating experience because, like, there is no reshoots. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I can't reshoot this. Like, so I needed – that was all the time I had. And I was also doing interviews for my podcast while I was doing that. So it was like – it was oh, like a side God. hustle. Like, the movie was a side hustle. Uh, yeah. While I was at the while I was at Sundance, it was a wonderful experience. It by it's still to this day uh, my favorite thing I've ever shot. It is the most um, me of anything I've ever done, and uh, I'm very very proud of it. And I love my cast and what we were able to do. And there is a magic to that film when you watch it. You'll see like the snow and the Park City backdrop and the lights. And you know, there's a whole sequence where we literally went out at five o'clock in the morning and, and went down to Main Street right across from the Egyptian and shot. Right. Yeah. And it was like a wow. back lot. It was like a back lot for us because there was nobody on the streets. I was walking on the streets. I was setting things up. It would like it was everyone like that sees it like how did you get Main Street to shut down? I'm like, well, you know, I just said I want to shut down and Rob Bob That's it. Bob That's said it, no you know? problem. They said, Well Alex Ferrari's here. <laughs> shut it down. 
Shut it down. <laughs> or it was 4.30 in the morning and nobody was freaking up. You know where we actually, we, where, where, where we got, we sheltered for warmth and a hot cocoa? In the Egyptian. Like we knocked on the, we knocked on the Egyptian's doors. It was brilliant. We're shooting outside. We get these, all these scenes. My actress, Sonia, who was out there with me, she did such an amazing job. It was like this really depressing scene because it was, it was a scene right out of my life where I literally... Seven years earlier, I was walking down Main Street at four o'clock in the morning going, what is my life? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Am yeah. I ever going to make my dream come true? Like that whole, that dark place. And I, it was literally on Main Street. I'm like, I have to write that into the movie. And after we shot all the scenes, uh, then we're like, we got it. We're freezing. Let's go. And we locked, And there was people like, you know, working for the morning. And we're like, can we come in? And they opened the door. <laughs> Then we sp- oh. and then we promptly paid seven dollars for a hot chocolate, and- <laughs> but we kept warm there. It was like, oh my god, it was it was such a wonderful experience, and that's what I told everybody who decided to jump on this crazy adventure because I had never met any of my actors. Wow, just, I just met them on Skype. I did some mm-hmm. castings, and they were friends of a friend, and I never met them. And I told them, and anybody who worked on it, there was a couple crew people that I brought out, other than who were people who were close friends of mine, and mm-hmm. I just said, look. I can't promise you that we're even going to have a movie at the end of this, but I can promise you one thing. It's this gonna is going to be a story in 20 years <laughs> that you can tell about that one time you shot that movie at Sundance because no yeah. one's ever done it before. So do you want to come out with me? I, I, have a, I have a good feeling that we're going to finish something. But honestly, when I landed right. back home, I, I was praying for 75 minutes. That's all I was praying for a 75 minute <laughs> runtime. I'm like, hope we shot enough. Do we have we enough? Have enough for a full movie. I mean, yeah. we literally almost shot everything. I almost edited, used almost everything we shot because we didn't have yeah. time for 20 takes. No. We didn't Kubrick it up. Yeah. So it was, it was such an exciting project, and I and I love making movies like that. It really is a fun, fun experience. So I cannot wait for people to come and and, and to see it on hopefully on IFHTV, but. Wherever they see it on Amazon, iTunes, wherever mm-hmm. they want to see it, but I just hope, and I hope it becomes. I truly hope it becomes like an underground thing for filmmakers because it's just such a ridiculous <laughs> film in the sense of what we do as filmmakers. We're nuts. And did I yeah. give you guys the pitch of the movie that they're trying to sell to the producer? Last time I was here, I don't think. I think you did, but give it again. Give it again. Give it again. I wanted to, I, I actually came up with this pitch because no one ever sees the movie that they're trying to sell. They have a, they're not trying to get a movie made. They're trying to sell a movie that they've already made. And no mm-hmm. one ever sees the movie. All we do is hear the trailer because I can never yeah. do justice to what I'm about to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and also the title of the movie, it's so pompous that I cannot remember the title of the movie inside the movie. That's how bad it is. <laughs> I don't, it's not written down anywhere. I would literally have to go back in the movie and listen to it. It's something to like, it's, it, it, I literally blacked it out of my mind. That's how bad the title was. So Some Fellini-type no, masterpiece. No, it was like, like Fellini <laughs> up his own ass 20 times. It was like, <laughs> it was so, so bad. So it's, okay, so it's, it's Shape of Water meets E.T. with Transformers drizzled on top. Now, we shot most of it in black and white, sometimes upside down and some mostly in slow-mo because I really wanted to get this kind of French New Wave thing going on, but I really just want to get into the Criterion Collection. <laughs> <laughs> that's the pitch. Shot, oh, and I forgot Truffaut. Shot, shot under the rules of Dogma 95, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I missed. I, I'm going to throw that one in there from now on. I'm like, you know, we shot it kind of like Dogma 95, but I really had a Truffaut thing going on right there, but I really just want to get it. But, but you know something? The fact is, you shot this movie Dogma 95 style. Mm-hmm. Everything's location. A lot of a lot of uh, you, you had a lot of improv. You kind of just showed up. You did it one, maybe two takes. You, you know? know, it is very. It is. It, it, it look. It's a kind of a combination of Dogma ninety five meets like mumblecore, but with yeah. Yeah. with production value. Because yeah. I can't shoot. Well, I, I've always felt the mumblecore is literally this is new Dogma ninety five. That's pretty much what they're doing. They're pr- you know, they're with, trying to bring back simplistic rules. filmmaking. Yes, without the, the the strict rules of Dogma ninety five. Yes. Like, you can yes. do a couple yeah. things, but that like my first film, This Is Meg, was shot in a very um, mumblecore style, but it, it looked was. it looked too nice yeah. for it to be mumblecore. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's mm-hmm. it, it, because I'm, you know, I'm a, been, because you know what you're doing. I've been a colorist. I've been directing for years. <laughs> like, I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I can't shoot something that looks bad. So, no. it, you know, I, no. which kind of is bad because then I, I don't get the mumblecore vibe and I don't get the <laughs> other vibe. So it's like this hodgepodge. But this film was like this whole different energy to it. And now since the Duplass brothers have been doing these kind of movies for so long, it's yeah. a, it's kind of a style because they do now movies yeah. that have they look amazing and they, mm-hmm. but they do it in this kind yeah. of style. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I was going with this film, yeah. like that, you know. And I, and I'll tell you, we we spent about three to four thousand bucks to make the whole damn thing. I mean, I could have shot another six of these last year, but I've been busy. Uh, but yeah. that, you know, a bunch oh. of people are like, "Why don't you shoot more of these?" I'm like, "Because then I gotta stop podcasting twelve hours a day." <laughs> Look, I've got fifteen <laughs> podcasts a week to do. I cannot <laughs> be shooting movies. <laughs> what you need to do is, is, is shoot a movie that revolves it's around a podcast. I need to, to make 15 podcasts a yeah. week about making movies, okay? I can't actually make Can movies. I make a documentary about trying to make a movie about podcasting 15? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's super meta. It's super, super, super meta. Super, super meta. It's the new Inception. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. But I, it's I, like I, 15 I levels stay. down. <laughs> And every level you go down is like 15 hours Just, less time or something like that. And no matter how far you go, you never get to making an actual film. Oh. Just you just keep adding more podcast episodes. It just keeps, it's like a really bad burger time. Like, you know? It's like a big bad burger time or Dig Dug. Or dig dug. If I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself, if for all the kiddies listening, burger time or Dig Dug. There you go. Look it up. Just keep, getting, just keep going deeper until some monkey hits you on the head and then you go another level. <laughs> then you're stuck there for 10,000 years with, with Sato. You know? Yes. <laughs> then you're just talking to your reflection inside a pond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we get to, I do want to say, as you said, you shoot on you shoot on the um, uh, on the on the pocket. Yeah, I shoot on the pocket for that nineties. It gives you that, and 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 that's pretty much what I think when I watch your film. Like especially this is Meg. It had that nineties indie film feel, like that 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 uh, uh, singles and uh, two girls and a guy. Yeah, you I, know? I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of that that indie film that Robert Downey Jr. just made a career out of. You know, it ha- it really has that feel and that look. Thank you, um, thank you, man. I so try. I just want I just wanted to say that because you said that. I know I appreciate it. I appreciate. It. But this one is actually. I mean, I even have like it. It's grainy. It has a little bit of grain to it. It's just a nice little mm-hmm. Super Sixteen, and we use like we used um, vintage glass. You know, we shot with the Kubrick. I call it the Kubrick, the Canoptic 5.7. So it's all mm-hmm. super wide, but no fisheye. Oh, no. It's just, I love the movie. Can you tell? I really do enjoy the movie. Nice. I can't wait. Nice, I can't nice. wait for people to see it. <laughs> well, so just... then I have the downer question. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How do you, because I know this is a big struggle for a lot of filmmakers out there, sure. you know, and it's interesting. You know, I see a lot of people, in, in especially filmmaking groups, kind of talking about it, but it's kind of something that people kind of talk around or don't really know how to verbalize but how do you separate your feelings when the film doesn't perform as well as you were hoping from the actual project itself you mean just like uh, like how it's received or how it's t- it's accepted in festivals or how much yeah. money it makes or something like that yeah well i mean i mean you had said that your film festival run it was kind of like oh, it was brutal it's brutal yeah it sucked yeah it sucked it was. It, it's called film festival sucks. That's what. Are you yeah. talking about what the thing you were reading last night? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, she's uh, the precursor to this is something that we somebody we know was posting about how their older films they can't even watch them anymore, just because of between between how much they've learned since then. Then they look at it and all they see is mistakes. But a big part of it was the negative reactions they got from people or the rejections they got that just make them look back on the film as a complete failure. So I think that's what she's I think that's where she's trying to go. How do you separate your personal feelings of the film from the memories of all the rejection (laughs) and everything? How do you how do you personally, you know, deal with that? Well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of lean on um, a good friend of mine, Ridley Scott. No, he's not a friend of mine, but um, <laughs> dropping that name. <laughs> no, I, I've never met Mr. Scott, no. uh, though I would love to. No, but I will lean on Ridley for this because Ridley actually said something really interesting. Is that as an artist, he doesn't care 
about what other mm. people think about his and his movies have been beat up, man. He's not he, yeah. he doesn't hit oh, a home yeah. run every time. Yes, mm. he's done Blade Runner, he's done Alien, he's done yeah. a, a Gladiator and a million great films. But sometimes he just makes, you know, a good year. What the hell was that? Yeah. Yeah, like why yeah. is Russell Crowe in Vinny? <laughs> really? I actually enjoyed that movie, but a lot of I love, I love that, that movie. movie. I love that movie too personally. I do really enjoy that movie. But there's a lot of people who despised it. Do not. Yeah. Even James Cameron told him was like, Ridley, you made two of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. Go back to making sci-fi. And then yeah. that alien thing he did. But um, the, the one <laughs> hey, hey, I like those. I really enjoyed the the two of them. I love them both. Yeah. You see, everyone, everyone, there's I, something for everyone. I think I said I see where he's going with it. He didn't, he didn't nail him. But I watched him like I see where you're going. Just give me. I swear, if he even let him make the third, it's gonna all make sense. That's just what I think when I watched him. Like there's something missing, and I swear he's got a plan. I can't. I can't give up on him <laughs> and Alien. I'm like, he's been, this thing's been brewing in his head for 35 years. No, no, you I can't would, just I would, pass I it. But, but, he, but he actually never reads a review. He never cares about okay. it. And he just keeps moving in, moving forward. Me personally, early in my career, um, you know, I was blessed with you know, some of my early works getting a lot of attention. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my short films and things like that that got a lot of attention. Uh, but but even with all the good press and all the reviews and all the festivals and all that kind of stuff that had happened on early in my career, they um, there was still haters, a lot of them that came out mm-hmm. afterwards that just despised it. And I used to be – it used to take me so personally, man. I used to get yeah. so tore up about – I used to be the guy that were like – which they would like leave a comment in the in the message board. I'm like, oh yeah, motherfucker, I'll, I'll go back in there. And I'm like, and I would start fights. Like it would be like my thing. Yeah. yeah. And you can't do that. You just can't yeah. because you just make it worse. You really do. And at the end of the day, what I've discovered in my elder years is that it's more about them than it is about you or your work. If someone's yes. taking the time out to just bash you, it has a lot mm. to do more about them. Than, if it's constructive, it's different. You know, we all yeah. can take constructive criticism. It's nothing wrong with that because, you know, we all learn from our, our mistakes. But generally speaking, you know, like this is Meg was not, you know, heralded as the next, you know, reservoir <laughs> dog by any stretch of the imagination. Um, some reviews were good. Some weren't. It's yeah. okay. You know, I actually love the film. I think it's great. Is it a perfect film? No. But it did what I wanted it to do, which was to teach me that I could actually make a feature film. You know, yeah. I needed to break through for me and that I could prove to myself that I was able to do it. And I made a fun mm-hmm. film. I think it was fun. There's a lot of people who enjoy it. It's a great kind of like experiment of what can be done in eight days with like, you know, all the stuff that yeah. we did and everything. It was, it was fun. Uh, you know, if someone doesn't, I'm sure there's going to be people who don't like on the corner of ego and desire. And that's OK. It doesn't matter to me. I disconnect yeah. that because. I try to disconnect myself as much as humanly possible to it. Sure, does it hurt when someone says your shit sucks? Absolutely, mm-hmm. it does. But you gotta just let it roll off the, you know, you gotta roll off the back of your back, your neck, man. You just gotta go and just like keep going, because you can't allow those kind of things to stop you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you allow someone's opinion of you to stop you from doing what you're supposed to be doing or meant to be doing, whose fault is that? You yeah. know, when mm-hmm. you're on your deathbed. What are you going to look back? Are you going to give a crap in five years about what this guy thinks of your work? No. Are you going to care when you're on your deathbed? No. Then just shut up and keep doing it. Don't worry about it. And if there was a lot of negative, oh, it didn't make the money it needed to. Did you learn something? Great. Because I always say to people, fail and fail often because that's the only way you're going to learn. Because you're never going to learn from successes, you know? You're never going to learn, like, oh, I, every every time I'm out, I just keep hitting home runs. It's just so hard. I can't. Uh, I just, I can't stop winning. Seriously. <laughs> He's on the phone every other day. I'm actually tired of winning. But anyway, um, so, and I was listening to Will Smith the other day, and there was a moment in his career, if you remember, that he was hitting it, a grand yeah. slam every single mm-hmm. time. Like, like five, five movies, movies in a row. In a row. Yeah. Like every time was like, bam, 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 bam. Uh-huh. And he was like, he could do no wrong. Then they offered him the Matrix. And he yeah. said, yeah, I'm going to pass on this. There's this thing called Wild Wild West that I'm going to do instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually I just literally saw this video the other day and he like that he was that's the only time in my career that, that on that Monday I would be walking around the street going I'm sorry I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, 
It's. I think it's the fact that he did the theme song too. That just no, it no, was it a was little like, too much. It went. It went one too far. It's, it's Big Willie. <laughs> that music video was like. Why wouldn't Big Willie do it? Like it was like it worked for Men in Black. Why wouldn't it work for Wawa West? Well, that's. Well, now you think of it that way, and you say, would he have done a theme song for The Matrix too? Then, and then everybody would have just been groaning by he the time actually, they got to the movie. He actually said very <laughs> frankly, he's like, if I would have taken The Matrix, then Val Kilmer would have been Morpheus. And mm-hmm. if, and I would have ruined the and, matrix. So you're yeah. welcome. Yeah, you're welcome because Keanu was perfect for it, and and, and obviously Lawrence Fishburne is Morpheus, and, and everything uh-huh. else is fine. But but we might not have had Matrix two and three, which which I could do without. Uh, <laughs> now, arguably, I actually enjoyed Matrix two. I don't know why. Maybe if I watch it again now, three I could. Eh. But um, <laughs> there, I mean, I like certain parts of it, but generally speaking, but one is a masterpiece. And yep. will always be a masterpiece. And if you watch it right now, it holds. It's twenty years old. Mostly, it holds. it's yeah. the technology that that dates it. It's mm. that it's that well, little no, two or yeah, three phone, years. Yeah, if you follow yeah. that, that kind the, of there stuff. There was that there was that two or three years of technology where things were getting nice, but they weren't nice enough. And then the iPhone hit, and the last five years of technology became completely obsolete. Yeah. And it's like if you had just kept '90s tech. Or iPhone tech, you were fine. It's that that crappy flip phone five or six years that just makes it feel ancient. But if you think about it, though, and now we're going to get into like a philosophical conversation about the Matrix. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you look at it from the Matrix point of view, that is mm-hmm. the moment in time yes. where it decided to create the Matrix. Mm-hmm. So with that mentality, the movie will never date. It will never age. Yeah. So they work yeah. that in, even though, it, but all the visual effects hold to this day. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. All oh, the visual yeah, effects absolutely. hold. 100%. It, it's solid. Oddly enough, Matrix 2's visual effects do not hold as no, well. No, no. <laughs> no it's, it's the Jurassic Park. It's like, how is it possible that Jurassic Park looks better than Jurassic World yeah. 25 <laughs> years later? How is that physically possible? We can have a, a larger conversation about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's interesting. I've been listening to this podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called The Brink. Mm. Um, it's a really interesting podcast. It, it's literally uh, following a bunch of companies and, and entrepreneurs. Um, when their com- when their company hit that moment that was a pivotal decision that either made or broke the company okay so it's literally like one of the best episodes i listened to was the axe uh, fest, uh, the Axe episode where they talked about their marketing and how they made that one marketing campaign and how it switched everything around. Oh, body spray Axe. Body, okay. body spray, okay. yeah. It's like the Axe, what Axe? Okay. Yeah, and so it, it's, it now it's sort of like when it comes to like filmmaking and stuff like that, like listening to this podcast, I now take my decisions heavier, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think it's also like you also learn to leap a lot more. Look, as, a, as filmmakers in general, I mean, look, we're not in this. We've chosen a pretty rocky career. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're carnies. Let's just let's yeah. call it what it is. We're carnies. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're carnies. We go from job to job. If you work in production, you show up, you put up a tent, you do on a show, you close it down and you move on to the next location or the next city. Like, that's what we are. We're carnies. Yeah. It's, there's no stability in our world. That's actually how we used to just we used to do conventions, the horror convention circuit. And it was like we're joining the circus. Join Every the single circus. week we're in yeah. another city and we're just setting setting up a table and the tent and the whole thing. We're sitting there for three days, everybody comes and sees us, then we pack it all up and see how much money we didn't make. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And now you know. now it's like that with film festivals where yeah. it's like, you know, you Every do a week film we're festival somewhere else, we're yeah. somewhere else doing we're, another thing. We're already in a very kind of, you know, unsteady business yep. uh in general. So why not take risks? Just take calculated yeah. risks. Not these kind of moronic risks that I see so many filmmakers have done and have come through my doors where they mortgage the house or they do all the, <sighs> they think the credit cards all the way up because they think they're going to be Kevin Smith or they're going to be doing all this kind of stuff. I'm like, don't Kevin do Smith that. Kevin Smith had a 1% APR, so. Yeah, I mean, like. like <laughs> it was 1989, so. <laughs> exactly. No, it was 90, no, he made that in 95. Was Clerks was that no no Clerks was like ninety four or ninety five it wasn't that late really yeah mm. oh, Siri <laughs> <laughs> Siri when was Clerks released I thought Clerks was released in ninety two or so ninety four I was right ninety four wow so I was right yeah. shoot. Shot okay. it in about 92, 92, 93. Oh, took him a while wow. to get I thought it, it was, out. I yeah. thought it was sooner than that. So, yeah, well, you know, I'm film thinking. editing a little different. But anyway, so 
you know, we, we already are in that world, so why not take calculated risks? You know, like when you're making a movie for three to five thousand dollars, that's a calculated risk. Now, mm -hmm. even if it's your last three or five thousand dollars, it's generally a hit that mm -hmm. you should be able to bounce back from, hopefully. Yeah. Because if you're yeah. if you're risking your last five thousand to make your movie, probably not the smartest idea. You mm -hmm. know, but if you're trying, you know, but you should be able to take a hit from that. Not, you're not, you're not betting the farm. And that's the yeah. mentality of so many filmmakers. So many filmmakers think it's like all or nothing. Like I'm yeah. going to, I need 300,000 to make my story. I'm like, but dude, you've never been on a set before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you've never, yeah. like you've never shot it. It's like me telling you, like, I'm going to go build that house. For 300 yeah. grand, but I don't know what wood is. Like, it's, <laughs> I've watched other people make it. I've watched the home yeah. shot, like the HGTV. I've seen it. Why can't I? Listen, yeah, I right. played with Legos. I could build a house. Right. I watch house flippers. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I watch I house flippers. It. It's easy. Yeah. So, but that's the, that's the same mentality that so many filmmakers have because of all the sizzle, because of all the uh, sizzle mm -hmm. that Hollywood sells, this kind of bogus, you know, um, Hollywood story of these, you know, one offs, these outliers that make it. It, it kept yeah. me in the mentality like that for years until I finally turned 40. I said, I can't keep doing this. This is, yeah. I, yeah. Can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep trying to be, I, you know, I can't try to keep trying to be Robert Rodriguez. I can't try, keep trying to be Tarantino or Singleton or Soderbergh mm -hmm. or any of those guys that came up in the, in the 90s, in the glorious 90s when indie films were different and that whole, mm -hmm. the whole marketplace was different. That window is closed. It was it closed. Is. It was closed in '97. Like yeah. you know, there's occasionally yes. Yeah, is Sundance still a thing? Yeah, it's, it's Sundance is still a thing. Does it have as much impact as it did in 1992? Absolutely not. Not even close. No. Not, not even, even close. No. remotely as close. Because I've worked on films I've gotten into Sundance, and I've seen what happens. Like, and they're not. Mm -hmm. You know, money doesn't just come piling on them. And they don't yeah. just keep shooting whatever they want. Those days are, are gone. So that mentality, it has to be broken. It has to be, we got to kind of, it's my job as what I do with Indie Film Hustle to kind of go out there and preach like, guys, it's not that anymore. It hasn't been that for a long time. And now if you think you're going to be a YouTube star just because you open up or an Instagram thing for filmmakers when you just start up, like, mm -hmm. no, dude, it doesn't yeah, work that no. way. You know, no. you've got to build out a business that's built on some sort of foundation. It's the it's the lottery ticket mentality. It was a lottery ticket back in the 90s when Sundance was playing, what, maybe 200 movies through the course of a week? Now I think, what was the statistic last year we heard on that show? 14,200 and something submissions and only 110 got in. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, those are. I was 110. What? Uh, Both features. features and shorts. Features and shorts. Features and shorts. Yeah. Then what was? No, it's not. There was some. There was some festival. Then maybe it wasn't. Maybe it, maybe it was South by, and it was something like 800 short films over the course of like two weeks, and 150 features. And I said, now you're talking about literally a thousand movies being played so just even if you're in you're one in a thousand yeah you know in order for them to pick a thousand films you got to be going through like here's fifteen thousand films over the course of a year and 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 it was like maybe a thousand films submitted to them 20 years ago now they're playing a thousand films yeah it's not so it's like that's not definitely not playing a thousand films yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it had to be like south by or Ooh, another but one. also film market some big something yeah and also for everyone listening like just because if you think about the early 90s if you even in the early 90s you almost had to just be able to make a movie and yeah. you already kind of, kind of got That's it sold. Yeah, like if exactly. you were in the if you were in the eighties, eighty five to ninety, movie. If you just made a movie on thirty five or sixteen, but specifically thirty five, if you just made a film, period, mm -hmm. there was no other yeah. options. Just yeah. completed a film, it was sold, and you yeah. generally made your money back just yeah. by making it good, bad, and different. It and was. Film made a big difference. Film was it. It's like if you could shoot a 90-minute or even an 80-minute film yeah. on film, then you know how to use a camera. You know how to light. You, you're gonna ha you have separate yeah. sound. Yeah, the, exactly. All that production, you need to know how to do this shit because you don't know what that thing's even going to look like when you're shooting it. You're just looking through a little window. Seriously, you don't even know if your, sh if your scene looks good until two weeks from now when you get it back from the processor. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was it was insane. And the nineties yeah. was the nineties was a, a a little bit different version of that. But even if mm-hmm. you were able to finish a movie in the nineties, yeah. yeah. early nineties, you had a shot of getting it sold. The marketplace was different. The DVD market yeah. was still thriving. There was so many, especially like in horror. For God's sakes, the DVD oh, market geez. was just. I mean, you could just put out crap. Look at Full Moon, for God's sakes. They put out mm-hmm. stuff. Like yeah. it was like going out of business. Corman, oh. all those guys. Oh, it was and, amazing. We actually know an then, actress that uh, worked for Wave, which I don't know if you know Wave. Wave. I remember Wave. Yeah. yeah. So we actually went to her. They premiered her film for the first time after 20 years or something like that. They released it in 94. And last year, the first time it's ever had a public screening, this thing literally <laughs> premiered 25 years after it was released. Uh-huh. And we got and we got there, yeah. As a crowd of maybe sixty or seventy people, laughing their ass off through it. They had the oh. time of their life. The- Isn't there that other movie that came out called Miami Connection? Uh huh. Uh-huh. You remember that one that came out that, that was that was a hidden like action like a really bad action movie yeah. shot yeah. in the eighties and they yeah. just released it and it's like become a thing. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's a thing. Like yeah. if you got an eighties horror movie and the rights to eighties horror movies. There's a mm-hmm. huge market for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I was talking to a distributor. like, we don't take any horror movies anymore. But if you got anything from the 80s, we'll take it. <laughs> anything. Yeah. yeah, anything from the 80s. Because there's a quality there. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a campiness there. There's something that you just can't There's a feeling to it. There's a yeah. vibe. It was shot on film. It was a yep. whole mm-hmm. thing back then. And, and there yeah. was a huge, huge market for those kind of films. It, it's... But yeah, we could keep talking and talking. But that was the I answer know. to your but question. It, it, yes, a long answer yeah. to your yeah. question. <laughs> but it blows my mind that things like, you know, Wave is still in business. They are still making movies. So it's it's the same way that they have. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it blows my mind. But it's also Norman like. is still like, making movies. Well, Charles Band is in his own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Band is kind of, he will shoot until the day he dies. And you'll still never see a cent from him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot of karma coming his way. He's got a lot of karma <laughs> yeah. coming his way. No question about it. So, um, okay. So then let's let's move into the present then. Yes. Um, <laughs> you have uh, Indie Film Hustle TV. Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, is this a subscription service? Is it a v- t- uh, um, VOD? How, how, how does it work and what do we get on there? So Indie Film Hustle TV is uh, the world's first Netflix meets Masterclass streaming service for filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. And I wanted to create a place where filmmakers can go watch a movie about making movies, watch a documentary about making movies, uh, watch making ofs or behind the scenes of making movies, as well as taking workshops, courses, education, all in one place. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I did. We opened up Indie Film Muscle TV, and it's uh, available on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, as well okay. as apps. And it's a monthly service. It's a subscription based model, so it's it's thirteen ninety nine. So it's a channel app type. Yeah, yeah, it's an app. So you could just download. It's just yeah. like Netflix. You can see it anywhere in the world. Gotcha. And it's thirteen ninety nine a month. And if you want to buy the year, you get a little discount. And I put up new stuff every week. It's insanity. Cool. Um, and I curate everything that goes up on IFHTV is either seen by me or approved by me. And like mm-hmm. I just released on Valentine's Day, we just released, um, you know, who the Polish brothers are. Not off the top of my head. They're directors. Yeah. They're, they're, they're big indie directors. Okay. And they made a movie called um, For Lovers Only, which was the first DSLR feature film. And they made about okay. a half a million bucks off of it. And it was uh-huh. sh- it was shot with no money. They literally went to France with Stana Kadic from Castle, okay, and and uh, Mark Polish, which was one of the brothers, and they shot this kind of like French New Wave movie. Uh, and they stole all the locations and they shot it all with the five D back in two thousand nine. <laughs> then they wow. released it on this thing called iTunes and made a half a million bucks. This thing, yeah, <laughs> this and, thing. And then so I got the movie, but I also have the making of. So really show you okay. how they did it all and, and, and how the process was and all that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of stuff that we have on IFHTV. And, and I, you know, it's it's one of those special things. I really love IFHTV and I love um, all the members who have signed up for it. It's kind of like a little family and they just they hit me up like, oh, dude, I can't wait to see this. Or, I you know, I, you know can you get me this? And I'm trying to get shows. And we have TV shows as well about filmmaking. And we're constantly building. And, of course, original content that I create. 
um, that's exclusive to the program. It's like Netflix. I like I have a little yeah. mini Netflix I've created for myself, <laughs> you know, and that's why on the corner of Eagle Desire needs to be up there. So it's like it's an it's a it's a IFHT original. <laughs> look at that! You're an original. See, look at that. <laughs> so is that the sort of thing you're going to be going uh, going down? More than getting more indie films on there, uh, along with making of to go. I mean, because it's going to be for filmmakers, so it's not. So if you're going to put on a movie, I'm assuming you want all that extra content to go I'm with it as well. To, yeah. If it's I generally the movies that I put on there are going to be movies about the business. So it's either going to be about okay. filmmaking, about writing, about being an artist in one way, shape or form. I have mm-hmm. stand-up comedy specials from the biggest stand-up comics as well on there, documentaries about comics. So anything that's dealing within the arts or the creative mm-hmm. process, gotcha. I have mm-hmm. in there because I didn't want to just make it just filmmaking, 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 because there is a limited amount of that content. So I wanted to kind of open it up to like, you know, musicians and other things like that as far as, you know, but the base is all filmmaking and screenwriting content. Um, mm-hmm. But then some of those films I have, I have two sex, two brands inside of it called um, IFHTV Drive-In Cinema, which is going to be like the funky 80s horror movies or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like The Room or things like that that are just kind of like a little bit outside yeah. the norm. And then I've got mm-hmm. indie, uh, IFH TV, indie um, art house cinema, which is where mm-hmm. I bring in like film festival favorites, films like that that I would premiere that um, don't have, didn't get a lot of you know attention, or they did 15 years ago, and I'm like introducing them to a new audience. Like For Lovers Only is one of those films that, that came out in 2010. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who haven't seen that movie. So that those are the, so I have those two little sections so I could add in a few extra things. Yeah, but. Believe it or not, a lot of these films don't have the making of, so I have to kind of go out and find other yeah. making ofs and things like that. Trust me, we have almost a thousand videos up there now. There's plenty to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's so I, much stuff up there. I like the idea of it because uh, um, I'm still a Blu-ray DVD collector, you know, and my big thing that's really gonna sell me on a release is the special features. Sure. Yeah, the yeah. All commentary that stuff. tracks, all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, especially behind the scenes, uh, the special effects things. You know, yeah. you know to, to talk to the director who made the movie thirty years ago and looking at it again now, all that kind of stuff. Actually, one of our friends actually does that. She's a producer for uh, Kino Lorber and Arrow and Arrow and 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 occasionally Scream Factory. There, yeah. she produces all the extras oh. of these old movies. Oh. That they're releasing, so she goes. She like travels the world. Yeah, she just did Candyman, so she actually she went to. Um, oh, she interviewed Clive Barker in L.A. Yeah, for she it. interviewed Clive Barker in L.A. for it. She went to the. Um, oh God, could we- I was in an elevator once with Candyman. Nice. I, I actually was in an elevator once. Can I tell you my Darth Maul story? It's it's it's, sure. off, to- it's, off, it's off topic, but it's just absolutely <laughs> it's fine. Brilliant, because <laughs> it was the same time I met Candyman. That's why I just remembered. I'm at a, I'm at Comic Con, and I'm at a Comic Con party. And, you know, there's some celebrities there and stuff like that. And on the way up, I'm literally Candyman standing behind me. And I just so wanted to just go, Candyman, <laughs> Candyman. I so wanted to, but I didn't. He was he was, he was just the actor hanging out. He's he's such a cool guy. He's such a cool guy. We'll have to tell you yours and our story in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so then um, I'm at the party. I'm with a friend of mine. And I'm like, hey, dude, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. So I go to the bathroom. I'm in a stall. And it's mm-hmm. a packed, you know, everyone's packed in there. And I'm just taking a piss. Just taking a piss like anybody else. All of a sudden, the door gets kicked in from behind me, oh. like straight up kicked in. And I look over and it's Darth fucking Maul. It's the actor who plays Darth Maul. He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry, mate. I didn't know you were in there, mate. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he closes the door and I'm like, and then at the time I was like, oh, my gosh, Darth Maul, Darth Maul just kicked in my, he just kicked in my, oh, it's so awesome, it's so awesome. So I, um, I was like, afterwards, I walked, I was like, oh, mate, I'm sorry, because he's Australian, like, oh, mate, I'm sorry, I'm so, so sorry, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's all right, Darth Maul, it's cool. He's like, start laughing. He's like, just, and then he says, my name is Ken, buddy, and he walks away. <laughs> just, he was, you know, he had a couple yeah. in him, and he was just trying to show off for the boys that he was with that he could kick the fucking door in. He just happened to pick yours. <laughs> It had to be my door. So that's a story I will always hold very dear to my heart when Darth Maul kicked in my toilet stall while I was pissing. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. It's nice when you meet your heroes and you meet people you love, yes. you, know, you admire, and they're and they're, cool and they're nice. Yeah. And they're nice because we've yeah. met some who are not, not but so let's nice. not do that. No, let's not do that. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so okay, so to get back to that, the 
the the fact that I feel like the the streaming services lately there's a lack of all that behind the scenes stuff. Oh, there and is none. It's 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 an old way of doing things. Yeah, it really right. is. I didn't I didn't go to film school at all. I took like one editing course when I was had already been editing for yeah. years. I took one just to make you know. And so all my filmmaking stuff literally comes from watching the behind the scenes, sure. studying them, like years and years of studying. Oh, me too. And I feel like, well, where do the new filmmakers go to other than YouTube, which is just like... It's not the it's, same. It's, 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 it's like, a, 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 oh my God, the word fell out of my head. It's like a landslide of shit just coming at you. Yeah. Where it's like, where it's do not I curated begin? very well. Yeah, exactly. It's not curated. That's, a, you know, there's like, okay, I want to find something. I want to search for, I want Christopher Nolan to tell me how he shot a, a van coming off the, the side of a bridge. Yeah. Right. You know? it, no, there's no question. I mean, I, I'll date myself, <laughs> but my, my, my uh, film school, before I actually went to uh, full, I went to full sale. Uh, in Orlando, uh, before I went to film school, which I didn't learn a whole lot there, but um, I learned how to wrap a cable and make coffee. Uh, there you go. I think that's eighteen thousand dollars. But it's about what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> where I learned was because I was in my video store, so I would, uh, you know, it was all VHS back then. There was no DVDs yep. yet, so the special yep. features weren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. But you know where they were a thing? Laser discs. Oh yeah, I, I, and I have oh, all yeah. my laser discs. I still have my laser disc player that works. And I have special editions. All it was all Criterion's. <laughs> it was all my Criterion's. Like you have Scorsese talking about, talking about like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and those kind of things. It's pretty insane. So to answer your, th- your question, though, there isn't a lot of places like that anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of that information out there, and and I wanted to have a place that has that kind of stuff. You know how much, yeah. how many thousands of hours are sitting on people's shelves in these distribution companies? Yeah. With these, all these making ofs that they're not making any money with. So I'm hoping I get to a point where I'm big enough, where I can go to Paramount and go, look, I don't, or go to Miramax and go, I don't want Pulp Fiction, but give me yeah. that hour and a half long making of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what I want. That give me yeah. that. Give me Robert Rodriguez's 10 minute film school. Give me that as a series. Give me all yeah. his 10 minute film schools. Let's just do yeah. this. And I'll mm-hmm. link back to your movies and we'll figure a way how to make money with yeah. it. And l- give me that. So I'm hoping I get to that point where I can make those deals and I can make those calls. But as of right now, there, all- isn't, there isn't any place else on the planet that does what I'm doing. So as a, as a, a friend of mine says, you know, you're, you're the cowboy over the hill. So I get all the arrows in the back. <laughs> and so um, I'm the first one over the hill without question. But I love, what I, I love it. And it's growing every, every week, every month. It's growing. So... I hope I get to a point where I can make yeah, those yeah. calls and, and have those kind of... It's interesting. Maybe, uh, um, for the event that I just had, the Women Horror Month event, um, one of the girls, uh, she was doing a study on black women in, in horror cinema. And so she actually went back to the days of like... Uh, God, what was the name of the movie? Ganja and... Ganja and... Ganja and something in the movie. You had me at Ganja. Yeah. You had me at Ganja. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. But she, but she actually, she, but she's actually, she actually went and found the actress and like did an entire interview. And like, this is the first time this woman's ever talked about the, the making of this movie, you know, and, and how they kind of shot things. And it was like one of the most fascinating, like, I think that was like one of the favorite films of the night where it was just like, it was so interesting seeing mm-hmm. the history of how something that you very, hear very little, like the black exploitation films, how they were made, nobody, nobody talks about that. Yeah, there's, there's no history there. Um, She's like, we shot it in the Philippines. The there's no and laws. Directors and writers, they're, they're dying off. I mean, if they yeah. don't get that information, it's going to be gone forever. I actually it just uh, one of the films we have on on IFHTV is called Out of Print. By um, uh, Julie, I forgot her last name. Please forgive me, Julie. But she's a director, and she used to work at the Beverly, the New Beverly theater mm. in LA yeah. where they only show 30 it's the one that Tarantino owns uh, that okay. only only plays the 35 millimeter movies and and she made a whole movie about the new Beverly and the directors are on it and oh <sighs> it's it's like a film history of like all these nice. like when I first saw the new Beverly I, I saw like every month it comes out with this like what's coming up is like you know this is Kubrick month so we're gonna mm. watch Full Metal Jacket and The Shining and and you're just like but the uh, the Metrograph does in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. Metrograph does the that. Metrograph does that. And yeah, um, it's so beautiful to do these art house, these revival art. That's house. yeah. This 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 theater is uh, the Metrograph. I think 
maybe six or seven years old, <coughs> and it's Art Deco style. Ah. So it looks like an old theater. They got all the silver trim on everything, and the, you know, oh, it looks so cool. Oh, they have like the the upstairs lounge and library, and it's it's so like it just feel oozes like nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties Hollywood it's like up there. These bookshelves filled with. But it's filled with DVDs yeah. and oh. filled with DVDs on one side and make and making and like books on filmmaking oh. and actor studio <laughs> and everything. And it's just stuff. So like while you're sitting there waiting for the movie to, 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 to start, like, OK, the movie starts in a half an hour here. You can have a coffee, pull a book off the shelf and read an old read an old like, you know, actor's memoir from the 50s or something. Yeah. You know, all oh, this. Really, yeah. All this really cool stuff. Nice, you know. You know? Nice. So it's now it, we're just geeking awesome. out. Yeah, now we're geeking out. Now we're geeking I out. I mean, I knew this was going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. So. <laughs> I'm all about it. No worries. Hey everyone, uh, that's the end of part one of our interview with Alex Ferrari. The conversation was so well split from uh, one topic to the next that uh, we thought this was the perfect spot to split it up. The second half of the interview, we discuss uh, Alex's uh, new book, Shooting for the Mob, which is an autobiographical story. Uh, it talks about the time uh, in Alex's life uh, about 10 years ago when he was being hired to direct uh, a film. It's a $20 million film, which is pretty incredible. Uh, uh, the film was mostly biographical, and it was about... Um, the film was about a real-life mobster who wanted the film to be about himself. And uh, the book details, uh, you know, ha having this opportunity ahead of him, but not quite wondering if it's going to be a good opportunity or a bad opportunity. So um, it it's something something that's all about the lessons that he, that he learned and a story that he was waiting a long time to tell, and he finally has. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's what we'll be discussing next time. So uh, that episode will be coming out soon. Uh, in the meantime, check out his Indie Film Hustle podcast and uh, IndieFilmHustle.tv. After that, be sure to rate and review our show here on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Now get out there, everyone, and make your films.